Amen and amen. Speak in the name of Jesus. Is there any greater name? None. And it must be our aim to know him and to make him known. Amen. To know him and make him known. To God be the glory. What a great privilege that we have. We couldn't know his name without him, nor could we make him known without his help. Amen. We must. So thank you, choir, for leading us. Thank you, brother, for having us. You and your bride for having us come and fellowship with your sweet people. It's gone by too fast for me. I wish we had several more days with y'all. I've got a lot more I'd love to give away to you. And uh, this little time tonight ain't going to give me enough time to do it. So we'll just have to make the best of it. Amen. And do what we can. But it has been a sweet treat. We've looked forward to getting back with y'all as I've already mentioned. And uh, we, we look forward to the next time. Lord willing, he works those things out that we can gather again and celebrate again. And love on each other and lift up the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look, take the revelation that you brought and turn to where are we turning? How y'all, Second Chronicles chapter 20, amen? Second Chronicles chapter 20. And as you turn there, thank y'all for investing in us. Thank y'all for praying for us. Thank y'all for loving on us. Thank y'all for treating my bride so sweetly and kindly and generously. And thank you just for being a blessing to us. And we pray God's blessings upon each of you as well. One of the sweet ladies asked before the service if I was going to give the answer tonight. She said she was here two nights ago, I believe it was, and I said I was going to give the answer. And I said, I'm going to tell you up front, this is the answer. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen. He's always the answer. And when we get to him, he's going to give us the other answers that we need, right? So we're going to give him the praise and the glory for it. But look, chapter 20, let's read over it one more time because I don't think we can uh, read it enough. You know, in the New Testament... In chapter 15 of the book of Romans, the scripture says, these things were written, were written for our learning. That through the patience of the scriptures, we might have hope. So what we're reading right now is no light matter. It's obvious I wouldn't want to spend time in it the way that we have if it was. But there's not one thing that we have in this revelation that is a light matter. This is God's word. Amen. And God tells us specifically in Romans 15, 4, that these things that were written were written for our learning and admonition that through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. You can use the word endurance or the faithful endurance of the scriptures that brings comfort in our life that we might have hope. Not one word of God's word has failed. Amen. Not one word has ever failed. Not one word will fail. You can count and throw your entire life upon what God says and the promises that he gives to us. And that's what Paul was saying when he wrote to the church at Rome, that all these things that we have collected together as this word are for our learning. And they're to build a faith in us to say, man, what God did then, he can do now. Because the same God that worked with Jehoshaphat 
or work with Abraham or work with David or work with Noah or work with anybody at any time in history, he's still the same today, amen? And that God came and took upon flesh and lived this life, that a life that we couldn't live. You see, that's the thing. Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live to die a death that we couldn't die. He, the life that he lived qualified him to die the death that he died so that we could receive the life that he lived when we die to ourselves, putting faith and confidence in him. And God raises us up with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was thinking, as y'all were singing that, speak the name of Jesus. And when we were singing a hymn, talked about his temptation in the for those 40 days that he fasted and prayed and was tempted by the devil. You know, every aspect of the Lord of Jesus Christ, his temptation, his birth, his conception, his life, his righteousness, his death, all of it is credited to us when we put our faith in him. Every ounce of it is granted unto us when we put faith in him. That's why you take 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, God made him, Jesus, God made God to be sin for us on our behalf as a substitute for us that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. So that's basically saying this, Brother Jerry, that he who knew no sin was made sin that we who knew no righteousness could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What a wonder, amen? What a wonder. What a wonder that is. So everything we see God doing with Jehoshaphat or anybody else, we've mentioned that Sunday morning. Remember those undeserved favor and blessing was on the merit of who? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's how God could be kind to Jehoshaphat. That's how God could be kind and loving to David. That's why God could be kind and loving to King Josiah. That's why God could be kind and loving to the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and whoever else God has ever shown favor and grace to. It was always on the merit of what God himself would do when he would live this life on our behalf. Amen? And that right there is worth shouting about. That's worth celebrating. So everything we're about to read can be accomplished because of what Jesus would do on their behalf to the glory of God. So let's look again at verse number 12. Verse number 12. We don't want to uh, get too far away from these thoughts. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Now all of Judah, with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord, remember we talked about it last night, came upon this one man, right? Out of all the nation that was gathered, God spoke to one person and he opened his mouth. He was in the midst of the assembly, verse 15, and he said, listen all you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. 
Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Point made. Remember when King Jehoshaphat got the word, look in verse number three, and Jehoshaphat, when he heard about this army, what was the first thing we see? He did what? He feared. He was alarmed. He was alarmed by it. Fear came to him. Why? Because fear is a natural response of the flesh. And that's why we see over and over in the scriptures, God tells his people, don't be afraid or dismayed. Why? Because what you hear, what you've heard, what you see before you is intended to grip you with fear. But I'm the God who never considers the odds. I'm always the majority. I don't need you to fight this battle, and I'm going to show you that in a moment. But you have no reason to fear nor be dismayed because I'm with you. And when I'm with you and for you, who in the world can be against you? Amen. Now, that doesn't mean the enemy can't harm you. That doesn't mean the enemy can't hurt you. What that means is it never works out for the intent that the enemy thought it would. God's always got something bitter, bigger and better and more extraordinary than what the enemy ever intended. Because when they crucified Jesus, that was all part of the divine plan of God, wasn't it? Had not that happened, we wouldn't have hope today. So when they crucified him, the scripture says no man took Jesus' life. What did he do? He laid it down on our behalf. Now, were other people involved? Yes. Did other people do what they did? Yes. Did the Romans do what they did? Did the Jews do what they did? Did we as the Gentiles do what we done in sin and contributed to his murder and the reason why he had to die? Yes. But nobody took his life. He graciously, lovingly laid it down for us. Amen. So when we think about that, you think about, for an example, Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 says, no weapon formed against you shall what? Prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. God says not only does he make the weapon maker, but he also makes the destroyer. That is, he makes the blacksmith who crafts the weapons, people who put weapons together, who use iron and steel and metal and all those things to make the, the ammunition or the swords or the whatever's used to use the weapon. God made that man or that woman or that boy or that girl, whoever it is. And he's also the one who made the destroyer who's going to use the weapon against you. But he said, none of it will ever prosper to the intent that they thought it would when I'm for you. Amen. Now that's important for you to always remember. Because how many people you've heard of through the past that died at the hand of an enemy that was standing up for the glory of God? There have been people who have died, what? By crucifixion, there have been people who've had their heads cut off. There have been people who died at the stake. There are people who've been burned alive all because they love Jesus and this word. And today we have this revelation in the English language because people sacrificed their lives to get it to us. And there were people in their day that hated them and wanted nothing more to annihilate them for simply taking the word in Greek and in Latin and translate it in a language that we can read, whether that be in German or English or whatever it is. And God's message to them all through history has been, do not be afraid nor dismayed, for I am with you. And God has kept his word alive. 
and his word is in your lap today or you're looking at it on your phone or you're looking at it in a Bible from the pew or the chair, but nonetheless, God's word is God's word and it's alive, amen? And we can put our confidence and trust in it. And he says that, do not be afraid nor dismay. The battle is not yours. Verse 16, tomorrow go down against them. They still gotta go and they still gotta go against them and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them, you will find them at the end of the brook from the wilderness of Jeru. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle, but you will need to position yourselves tomorrow and you need to stand still and you need to see the salvation of the Lord, which is a work of faith, which is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem, and do not fear, here he is again, do not fear or be dismayed, tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And may God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Now we know the rest of the story. We know what came about out of that. And I mentioned to you when Jehoshaphat first got this word, what was the first thing he did? We see fear, but then he reevaluated this word in the face of the Lord. He sought God's face. And you at Mount Pelier, the Holdens, and whoever else is among us, or whoever else we ever listen to this word, we know that whatever we got to face in life, you'll never face it wrongly when you turn your face unto the Lord. And either your face is unto the Lord or what is unto the Lord. What do we say? You're either giving your what? Your back? Or you're giving your face to him. And when you give your back to him, what are you doing? We, we, I keep using you because you brought it up. Backsliding. Backsliding, that's right. Backsliding, that's literal the word used in the scripture for the backsliders, they give their back to the Lord, not their face to him. So when we reevaluate whatever you're going through, how many of you going through some stuff right now? How many are about to go through some stuff? If you ain't in it, you're going in it or you just came out of it, amen? No matter how you look at it, you either heading into something, you're either in something or you're just coming out of something and you may be coming out of something but you may be going into something even more difficult. How many of y'all learned that in life? That's how life goes, doesn't it? Whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, you're going to have to go through troubles in this life because this world we live in is a troublesome world. But whatever you do as a congregation, whatever you do as a faith family, whatever you do as a family within your home, whether you're a grandparent or a parent of young children, whatever it is, as you face troubles in life, Always reevaluate the troubles you're looking at by seeking the Lord. By seeking the Lord. The next thing he did was he retreated to what? Prayer and fasting. He retreated to prayer. Now I want you to keep this in mind. I told you this is a microcosm of anything you and I are going to do. We see it all in these passages right here. No matter what we face in life, no matter where we head it, no matter where we've come from, these things that are going on in this situation are just a microcosm of life events for everybody 
in the world that we live in, we just live in different times and different days, but the same situations, the same troubles, the same uh, circumstances, many of those things are going to be faced by you and me. And as a result, you got to think about this. You got to think about Jesus. Where did they often find Jesus from morning by morning? Where did they often find him? He was doing what? He was praying. The scripture says he would what? Get away from his disciples and go get along with who? His father. In the book of Isaiah, I would pin this down somewhere that you can refer to it later. Isaiah chapter 50, beginning in verse number 4 through verse number 8, 9, 10, and that general area there will give you the daily life of the Lord Jesus Christ. From the time that he came into this world to the time that he departed this world, it's going to give you a little synopsis of what his day would look like and the things that God brought into his life and how he submitted to his father and he let people misuse him and abuse him because of the mission that he had. But one thing that it says, that the father woke him up morning by morning and opened his ear so that he could hear as to learn, and that he would know how to speak a word in season. Now, when you know how to speak a word, that would also imply that you know what to say. Brother Jerry, you ever get in trouble by what you said because you didn't say it the right way? Miss Priscilla, has he ever said something the wrong way to you? Of course not. No, come on now. She's lying to us. Chris, your mom ever whoop you for saying the right thing the wrong way? Sure. sure. How many in here don't get in trouble every once in a while in how you say something? You can say the right thing, but you can say it the wrong way or at the wrong time. You ever say, the, come on now, men, you ever say the wrong thing to your wife at the wrong time? I mean, you said even the right thing at the wrong time. You thought, oh man, it stirred her up like a hornet. You know what I mean? <laughs> Guys, has, they, has that woman of yours ever said uh, the, the right thing to you at the wrong time and it took away a little of what you thought that you deserved a little more respect than what she told you? And she's really your helpmate. She's trying to help you out. She's giving you the best advice she can, but at the same time, it done something to your ego. Are you with me? kind of knock look that's life right but Jesus never missed it he always said the right thing the right way he never said the wrong thing and he never said it the wrong way that's why I've already said everything about Jesus's life is what applied to you and me because we don't always say it right and we don't always say it the right way it's just inevitable. That's part of who we are. But part of who he is is that he never missed it. And one of the main reasons he never missed it is because he depended upon his father for everything. Unlike us depending upon him for everything, which we should depend on him for everything, and the more we grow upon him, but he never not depended upon his father Everything he did, he did because his father led him to do it. Everybody he healed, every word he spoke, everything he proclaimed, every promise he gave, he heard first from his father. 
Not one time did he ever miss it. Amen? Not one time. But the thing is, is that Jesus was in a public ministry. And public ministries always require private moments with God. You can't go out in the public and do public work for Jesus without private worship. Can't do it. And I want to inform you in here tonight, I know you know this, but I'm just going to bring it to light. Anybody that belongs to the Lord Jesus, and the only way to be belong to the Lord Jesus is you've been born again and made a new creature in Christ Jesus. Your life was interrupted from the course you were on. He invaded you with his redeeming grace and put you on another course, reconciled you to himself, and immediately he's put you into public ministry. You become a public servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. You are to display his glory and his grace with him working in you, with you, and through you by faith. And if you're going to be a public servant, which you are by default being a believer, you have to have private moments with him daily. Praying. Amen. Pray it. That's what Jehoshaphat did. Here's a public servant, a public king who had not always walked wisely with the Lord. We've already established that, right? He was in alliance with people he shouldn't have been alliance with. He done things that he should have never done. He supported those that didn't support the kingdom of God. He loved and agreed with and was in alignment with those that hated the Lord. But God, because of his undeserved merit and favor upon him, interjected his life, interrupted his life, and said, look, God's wrath is upon you for doing what you have done. And it gripped his heart, unlike his father Asa that we've already looked like. And what did he do? He set his heart to do things right and to turn Israel, Judah, back to the Lord. And then he began to establish judges in the land to make right choices. Anybody by way of just some of the study that you may have been looking at this guy, Jehoshaphat. Anybody look up his name, what it means? His name, Jehoshaphat, means God is judge. And when that prophet came out to him, Jehu came out to him and told him, hey, God, the, the judge has judged the, the king judge, Jehoshaphat, and he's got a bounty on you because of what you're doing and how you're living and how you're thinking. And the judge of the king realized he had a higher judge. And he better get himself in line with him. And from that point on, man, he walked with the Lord. Now, I want to show you this before we go any further. Because if you're going to be a student of this, which you need to be, this is, like I said, just one of those one of those things that you want to take and look at. Remember Sunday morning we looked at Psalm 111 for a minute. It said God caused his wonderful works to be remembered. And they're studied by those who take pleasure in them. This is one of those wonderful works that you want to remember and study. But look in chapter number, let's see, chapter number 20 and look down at verse number 35. Look at 35 because I want you to grab this because if, you, if you're not careful, this would appear as if it is an after effect of something that he did later. And I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. 
and just give you a little brief history on it because God got a hold of this man and God used this man. Now some of the decisions that he made with Ahab will always show up down the road. He's going to have a son who's going to be married to one of Abraham Ahab's daughters and as a result, there's going to be some killings that take place and these sons are all going to die because of that bad alliance that he had with the wicked. You can't play around with this world and not find death in it. Are you with me? This world is on a crash course toward a judgment, toward a redeemer. And that which doesn't line up with the Lord Jesus Christ will all be burned up and cast away. And everything Jehoshaphat did prior to his turning unto the Lord is still going to surface at some point. It's going to come. Why? Because the Bible says we reap what we sow. You can be forgiven. You can be right with God. You can be filled with His Spirit and still have to suffer the consequences of bad seed that was sown. He sowed some bad seed. He's going to have to deal with that down the road. But verse number 35, my translation reads like this, after this. That phrase, after this, is translated so many times in the Scriptures and it's used in ways like this. Besides, besides this, what Chronicles is going to do is going to tell you something that it's brought to light in the book of Kings, but Chronicles is going to go more in depth of what actually took place within the heart frame of the man when he did it that Kings mentions about it. And Chronicles, because it wants to get to the heart of these kings of Judah, is telling us that there was something else that he did, and this is why he did it and why God did what he did. But it's not in chronological flow. That's what I want to point out to you. And I know that because of this. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, the king of Israel, and acted, who acted what? He acted very wickedly. And he allied himself to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made ships there in Ezion Geber. But Eliezer, the son of these guys' names, I'm not even going to mention them. We call them Bubba. How's that? <laughs> Came out against Jehoshaphat saying, because you have allied yourself with Bubba, the Lord has done what? Destroyed what you've done. They invested all kind of money and time in building those ships. And what did God do to it? He destroyed them. He broke them up. King says he broke them up. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to talk. Sometimes God will wreck your ships. Amen. Sometimes God will wreck your work. He'll destroy it. Why? He wasn't involved in it. He didn't permit it. He wasn't involved in it. But this particular guy that he partnered with was one of Ahab's sons. Well, Chronicles and Kings gives us the biblical history of this. This particular king, Ahab's son, took over the throne when Ahab died. But he was wicked. And in that short little period of time, one year's time frame, Jehoshaphat partnered with him to build these ships. God was angry at this particular king and he fell through some lattice work in the house. 
he injured himself. Because he couldn't function as king, his brother Jehoram took over the throne, another son of Ahab. And within a short period of time, this guy who only reigned for one year dies. And then Jehoram takes over the throne. So that little reference there, it takes us back. It's not in chronological order. So when you read it in the future, you read it in the sense, besides all these other things that he did, this did happen in his life. But it happened prior to what? God coming and warning him. That's one of the reasons why God warned him. Why? Because he was in alliance with Ahab. He was in alliance with his two sons. And then God brings him a warning. And now we see the man set his heart to do the right thing and follow hard after the Lord. And that's why he's reevaluating things the right way. That's why he's what? Retreating to prayer. And this is why, look, he recalled the past. Go back to verse number 5 of chapter 20. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And this is what he said. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And we know he is, amen. And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And we know he does. And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to stand, withstand you? And we know that is a yes and an amen. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to your descendants of Abraham, of your friend forever? And they dwelt in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon you, sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and will you not hear and say, And now here we are, the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us, your servants, by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. You know what he did? He recalled the past. You remember Solomon is the one who said, what does 2 Chronicles 7, 14 say? If my people who are called by what? My name, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will what? Forgive them of their sins and heal their, I'll hear their land. Solomon in 2 Chronicles 12 stands before the Lord and God tells us through him exactly what to do when these things happen. So you know what Jehoshaphat does? He recalls the past of what God has already said he would do. He went straight to the Lord, Brother Jerry, went to his word and said, you said, God, if we find ourselves in this situation, this is what we're to do. And we are turning to you. And you know what he's doing? You know, everything we see him doing is that he is actually praising God for who God is and what God does. Even though he's praying to him, he's praising him before the people. Because everybody hears him. 
He's standing before the whole nation that is gathered together and he's proclaiming this word, which was a word that all, he's, it, he's quoting it verbatim of what Solomon said to do through the Lord when this thing happens. So he's recalling what God said in the past, what God did with his people, what God promised to his people, what God had plans for his people. And when we see him doing that, then he's remembering the promises of God. That God, you gave us this. You gave us this graciously. And I want to tell you, that's, that's part of the answers that we see that we ought to be doing. That what, we reevaluate the problem in the face of God. We retreat to prayer. We recall the past. We do what? Remember the promises. And we recognize, as we get into verse number 12, we recognize that we're powerless if God don't act. Ain't nothing we can do about it unless God moves. But you know what he's doing? He's getting to the heart of the Lord. He's getting to the heart saying, God, we're dependent on you. You made this commitment. You gave us this. You done this. You wouldn't permit us to destroy these nations when we came in. And now they're wanting to repay us and reward us and take this away from us. God, we are going to trust the fact that we we recognize we're powerless, but then we see in what we rejoice though in your providence. You can judge these people. Our eyes are fixed upon you. And if you don't speak and guide us, we're, we're sitting ducks out here. So we're resting in your care. And I want to tell you that does something to the heart of God. Amen. God sent a word. We've already read it. But I want you to notice what he says in verse number 20. So they rose early in the morning, they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, and they went out with Jehoshaphat, and he stood before them, and this is what he said. Hear, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Now, something I hadn't always known, but when I studied these words here, like the word believe in the Lord, your God, and you shall be established, those words believe and established are the identical words in Hebrew. And what they mean is, is that you support the Lord with your trust. You render the Lord faithful with your trust. And when you do, God will render you faithful to fulfill his mission. You render him faithful in support of his message. You believe in him and God will render you faithful to walk his word out and fulfill it. And folks, that's how it works for you and me today. Amen. We believe him. We render him faithful. And when we do, he then reinforces and supports us in the work that he's given us to do. And when we think about that, for an example, believe in God. It's not just wanting to believe him, but it's what? Believe in him. For an example, have you ever seen somebody who wanted to swim, but were afraid to swim? Y'all know anybody scared of the water? You want to swim, don't you? No, you don't want to. You like the water. Who else in here is afraid of the water? You're afraid of the water? He said, Mama, don't tell everybody that. You're afraid of the water? Come on up here with me. Come on. Come on. 
Do you not want to be afraid of the water? So you really like to swim, but you're just afraid of swimming. Yes, sir. Afraid of the water. So wanting to swim ain't the same as swimming, right? Y'all recognize that with me? You can want to swim all day long, but you're not swimming until you what? You get in the water. Have you ever watched somebody else swim? And said, I wish I could do that, huh? If you got in the water, you think you'd sink or you think you could swim? I could swim. You could swim, but you're still scared of the water. Girl can swim and still won't get in the water. (laughs) Stephanie's mama's like that, huh? So we understand. How many of y'all afraid of the dark? Oh, they was jumping up back there. (laughs) But wanting to swim and swimming are two totally different things. You can watch other people swim. You can read about swimming. You can be taught by the best swimmers in the world. But you're not swimming until you're in the water. Are you with me? Thank you for your help. Thank you. She's a good sport, amen. (laughs) Takes bravery just to admit it, amen. Well, believing is the same way. You could want to believe, but wanting to believe and believing are two different things. Too many people settle for wanting to believe. Wanting to believe is really just the disguise of saying, I want God to trust me before I trust him. And it doesn't work that way. People that make a real big deal about am I doing it right? Or saying, God, I want you to accept me the way that I do it rather than just believe in God and walk in what he gives you. There's a world of difference in that. Faith sees, agrees, and acts on what God reveals. And faith can only respond in a positive way uh, to, to, to Jesus, to the will and the work of the word of God. Because faith cometh by what? Hearing. hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. So how do you have faith? You got to hear. We see hearing in God's world is seeing. When you hear from God, you see what God sees when he speaks it over you. So what Jehoshaphat is saying is that it's not enough for you to want to believe you got to believe. And when you believe, you're rendering him faithful to do exactly what he's revealed to you, what he said to you, what you see. And when you do that, God then what? He renders you faithful to him and now he does something strong on your behalf. He gives life to that which is dead. The picture is Abraham. The New Testament pictures it in Abraham's life. In Romans chapter 4, it said. Abraham, who contrary to having any kind of hope in his physical body, Abraham was right at 100 years old and God made a promise to him. What was the promise? That his children would be as many as the stars in the sky. Number one, there's more stars in the sky than we could ever count. And all God's people said. So when he looked up in that sky and saw those stars and him not yet having a child and God says, what you can see, your children would outnumber that in the future before he ever had the first child, before he had this seed of promise in Isaac. The scripture says Abraham's body was what? Dead. 
What does that mean? His reproductive system was dead. He had no life within his reproductive system. But because he believed God, not that he wanted to believe him, he what? He believed him. What did God do? He rendered him faithful and then supported and gave life to his body and opened the womb of his 90-year-old wife. Gave life to him and opened up a womb that had been closed and dead for 90 years. Simply because he took God at his word. God strengthened him in faith and therefore he gave glory unto God. He strengthened him in that hope. He strengthened him and supported him. Because he believed God. And this is exactly what Jehoshaphat is saying. Believe God. Render him faithful. And he'll do something in you that you can be rendered faithful unto him. And then he says, believe his prophets and you shall prosper. The word believe for the prophets is the same word. Render his messengers and his message faithful and you will Prosper. The word prosper means you will push through the opposition. Everything that tells you otherwise. That's why God prefaced it all with what? Be not afraid nor dismayed. Why? Because fear is going to want to get in the way. But when you are rendering him faithful, he renders you faithful, supports you, and you walk through the fear because you're taking God at his word. That's the picture of faith. It's the same way with believing Jesus. It's not that you want to believe him. No, you believe him. And you're not concerned if you're doing it right. You know he's done it right. You putting faith in the fact that he don't get it wrong. Amen. Not that I'm going to get it wrong. Somebody is focusing on, am I doing this right? Am I walking in this right? Am I thinking on this right? Am I doing this right? It's got more attention on who? themselves and not the Lord. That's why when it refers to Abraham, it says this, that Abraham never factored in the fact that his body was dead. That means it didn't even come to mind that his body couldn't produce what God said he was going to produce. It never came to mind because he was so caught up in the God who just committed to him and the commitment that he made that he didn't even think about the fact that it couldn't happen physically. That God was able to do it. It never came to mind. That means he didn't waver. You know what I'm talking about. The scripture says it that way. He didn't waver in what? Unbelief. Unbelief always pulls in the limitations. Unbelief will drag in the fact that I'm limited in my own ability to get this done. Unbelief always focuses in on what we can't do and gets lost in it rather than getting lost in what God is able to do. That's why believing in faith is so important is that it's putting what faith in a promise. And that's why the scripture says if you worked for it yourself, you're owed a payment. And God doesn't owe no man what? Nothing. Amen. So when you're thinking you got to work this out and work for it and you deserve something, the focus is in on who? Us. 
what we can do or what we can't do rather than putting confidence and rendering him who is faithful to be what he is. He never fails, amen. You, if it makes no sense at all and he says it, you can trust him on it and walk it out. I'll tell you, it makes no sense the fact that he would even save us, amen. When you really think about it, makes no sense at all. Makes no sense at all he would call somebody like Jerry King to be a preacher. You know what I mean? Amen. Makes no sense at all that he would call somebody like Nick Holden to get to do what I get to do on an everyday basis. But it don't have to make sense. He makes sense out of it with his presence upon our lives to do the work that he's called us to do. Amen? What was the requirement? What did God simply tell the people to do? In the morning... You be ready. In the morning, you set yourself to do what I've given you to do. And in the morning, you need to see it. You need to see it before you ever take possession of it. You need to see it in faith before you ever take possession of it. You know what New Mount Pelion needs to see? Whatever God's given you to do. Amen. And I know what he's given you to do is what? Reach people, teach people, equip people, and mobilize them to go with Jesus. Now, will y'all win of all Clay County or Webster County or, or get down there close that I am? Who knows? That, that's, that's out of your control, right? You just do what God's called you to do. And you do it faithfully. And he'll render you faithful and as a result, he'll reward you with his presence and he'll reward you with his power. And you're not fighting for victory. He's already won the victory for you. Amen. You're just an overcomer in Christ Jesus. So it ain't enough to want to be a witness. You got to be what? A witness for Jesus. It ain't enough to want to be a disciple maker for Jesus. You got to be the disciple maker that's been set, afo- set apart by Jesus. It's not enough to want to be a mama. God's made you a mama and given you little ones, amen. It's not enough just to be a, a husband or want to be a good husband or want to be a good father. He says, just be what I've set you apart to be. Trust me and I'll take care of you, amen. Now, will you mess it up? Just say, yeah, I've already messed it up, Amen. You probably messed it up a million times if you're anything like me. But I tell you what I got. I got a good history with repentance before the Lord. And that history of repentance keeps ramming me back to just say that, hey, he's worth everything. He's worth it all. Amen. He's worth it all. So putting faith in Jesus, it ain't enough just to want to. You got to. You got to trust him. Is he worthy? Will he set you free? Will he make you a witness? Will he make you a fisher of men? Will he make you a teacher of the word? Now, they might not be set apart to teach a class, but you're still teaching something. You're still teaching something. You're still declaring him in this life. Let me tell you something that God's doing today. And he's made a commitment from day one to do this. And he's going to keep doing it until it's complete. Is God has promised that he's going to fill this earth up with the glory of his knowledge. He's committed to it. And he'll use you or he'll bypass you. He don't need you, but he's called you 
to join him in doing it. Amen? And that is what he's doing right now, filling this earth up. You can take it all the way back to the very beginning. You can take it and chronicle it through the scriptures. God brings it up again and again and again. Remember when the children of Israel was afraid to go in the promised land because there was giants in there? When God turned them back and told them to walk through the wilderness, this is what he told Moses in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 21. He said, Moses, I was going to fill the whole earth up with my glory. You were afraid, y'all were afraid to go in the promised land and fill it up, but I'm going to fill the whole earth up with it. Not just the promised land, but I'm going to fill the whole earth with my glory. When David took that sling that day, you know what David said why he was going to kill Goliath? One, because Goliath was mocking the things of God. And two, he was, he was dissing the people of God, the armies of God. But this is what he said. David said, I'm going to kill you today. And the reason I'm going to kill you today is so that all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. And I want to tell you, that day it didn't happen, meaning the whole world didn't hear about what Goliath did and what David did to him. But you know what? For the last, what, nearly 2,700, 3,000 years, that message of David and Goliath has been spread all over the world, hasn't it? And even you get to talk about it and tell other people about it. Why? Because that day David said, I'm killing you today so that the world God who reigns in Israel. See, every servant of God with a heart after God lives in such a way to know this God and to make him known. Amen? To know him and to make him known. Why? Because that's the God who's living in them, whose zeal is in them to make himself known in all the earth. And that who's, that's the believers who live in such a way to make him known. To the, to the world that they live in. Amen. Now, I want to ask you, is that you? If it's not, you can come to Jesus today. You say, Brother Nick, I've given my life to Jesus, but I'm not making him known. Well, I encourage you to repent today and come to him, come fresh to him, and take this as a warning today, just like Jehoshaphat did, and then he set his heart to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and God did mighty things through his life. And I want to tell you, he'll do them through your life as well. Amen. So if I'm not retreating to prayer, if I'm not reevaluating the problems in the face of the Lord, if I'm not recognizing I'm powerless and recalling the past and standing on the promises of God, that will tell me that my heart is backslidden and wayward and I need to what? Return back to the Lord and ask God to produce life out of me. Amen. So you'll stand with me and let's pray. Father, we bless you and thank you. I pray that you help us believe you tonight as the king lifted up his voice and encouraged his people in that day. I want to encourage each of us tonight to believe in the Lord, believe in the Lord and we shall be established and that we believe his message and that we will press through that which opposes it. So Lord, we just thank you for the gift of faith tonight and we're going to praise you in Jesus name. Amen.